Hey guys, welcome back to the show and thank you so much for tuning in. And if it's your first time here, hey, my name is Lauren and we have a ton to talk about as usual. So let's just jump right into it. We're going to be starting the show off with a discussion of the death penalty, something that I don't think we've really talked about before on the show. Then YouTube is cranking up the censorship, as I warned you all would absolutely happen. Plus, Tulsi Gabbard has introduced a bill that she claims will protect biological women in sports, but which critics say is actually transphobic because... Hey, what is it nowadays? And then finally, we'll be finishing off with a discussion of the comic book industry and how social justice has really just beat it to death. The death penalty. This is an issue that, strangely for me, I actually don't have a very strong opinion on one way or another, or I kind of go back and forth as to what I actually believe. And I'll explain it like this. Do I think that there are crimes out there that warrant being sentenced to death Absolutely. And I'm talking about things like serial killers, child rapists and murderers, that type of very serious, very, um, very grievous crime. But where where my kind of moral objection comes into it is that do I trust the state or the criminal justice system to be infallible enough to be able to bestow that punishment upon someone? That's a little bit of of a harder question for me. You know, I'm someone who is at all stages very critical of the government, very pro-individual freedom. And so for me, looking at the government, the criminal justice system that I have so many criticisms of and then saying, yes, I think you should have the power to put someone to death. It just doesn't really sit right with me. Um, I guess my my kind of stance on this would be that I support it in some circumstances for very serious crimes if it is just beyond question that the the person in question absolutely 100% is guilty because it's it's really the thought of someone being put to death wrongfully that gives me pause. And I think, uh, you know, judging from what I've seen with this conversation, having it with others, it, it, that's quite a common standpoint to have. Now, the reason why I even bring this up is because the death penalty is uh, is back in the headlines after a recent execution that a lot of celebrity activists uh, kind of voiced their opinions against. So we have this article from Global News. I know I, I chose a Canadian uh, news site to report on this American story, but there we go. It says the Trump administration on Thursday carried out its ninth federal execution of the year and the first during a presidential lame duck period in 130 years, putting to death a Texas street gang member for his role in the slayings of a religious couple from Iowa more than two decades ago. As someone who is religious. I do find it a bit strange that that's how they chose to frame this piece, like the slaying of a religious couple is what he's guilty of. Would it be less grievous if the couple weren't religious? I kind of question why that was included. But anyway, let's move on. They say four more federal executions, including one Friday, are planned in the weeks before President-elect Joe Biden's inauguration, his supposed inauguration, I will say. I will say. So this case in particular, the one that everyone is up in arms about, is that of Brandon Bernard, who received a lethal injection of some very long chemical name inside a death chamber at a U.S. prison in Terre Haute, Indiana. It was a rare execution of a person who was in his teens when his crime was committed. And I just want to say, so, you know, talking about nine executions this year, 
They're referring specifically to federal executions, from what I understand. There are other people who are executed at a state level. They also say that several high-profile figures, including reality TV star Kim Kardashian, had appealed to U.S. President Donald Trump to commute Bernard's sentence to life in prison. Bernard directed his last words to the family of the couple he killed, speaking with striking calm for someone who knew he was about to die. I'm sorry, he said, lifting his head and looking at the witness room windows. That's the only words that I can say that completely capture how I feel now and how I felt that day. Speaking for more than three minutes, Bernard said he had been waiting for this chance to say he was sorry, not only to the victim's family, but also for the pain he caused his own family. Uh, earlier, he said about his role in the ki killing, I wish I could take it all back, but I can't. Bernard was 18 when he and four other teenagers abducted and robbed Todd and Stacy ba Bagley on their way from a Sunday service in Killeen, Texas. Federal executions were resumed by Trump in July after a 17-year hiatus despite uh, the COVID outbreak in U.S. prisons. So obviously, with this being such a high-profile case, a lot of people, including AOC, have weighed in. And, you know, she is all for abolishing the death penalty. And that seems to be uh, at least for now, the popular consensus among people uh, that the death penalty is wrong and antiquated and that it shouldn't happen. But I asked, do you support the death penalty? And 68.9% of people responded yes, 31.1% responded no, and so far there's about 11,000 votes on that poll. To me, the, the problem here is that so often with the question of the death penalty, people paint it as an issue of, well, you either kill people or you just let them go and there's no punishment at all. And I feel like for some people, it comes down to a matter of are we actually punishing people sufficiently for their crimes? And I know when I explained my stance on the issue, that's a lot of the reception that I got from people that, oh, would you just want this person to walk away after doing something so heinous? And no, that at least is not my position at all. There are things like life in prison, which some have argued, is even worse than being put to death because of the ongoing monotony and, and things like that. But what, when it comes to this case specifically, the Bernard case, I, although I'm, I'm sure he is guilty, I actually, and I would love to hear your take on this, I would not have supported the death penalty. I would have preferred something like life in prison. And let me explain why. He was only a teenager when he committed this heinous act. Does that excuse him or absolve him from being punished? Absolutely not. You're old enough at that age. No, you don't murder a couple. But putting someone to death for, for I think, you know, acts they committed at such a young age, that just doesn't sit right with me either. And I think this is something that people should weigh in their minds when we discuss something like the death penalty. This is very, this is a different scenario than if the person in question, I would say, uh, would have been older, you know, in, in their 30s or 40s or heck, even 20s or had a, you know, a longer history or several murders under their belt. That's the kind of thing that I would keep into consideration if I were the one to be in charge of deciding whether someone got the death penalty. And uh, an example of someone who I think should deserve the death penalty is uh, this other case that the Global article also references. It says, Alfred Bourgeois, a 56-year-old Louisiana truck driver, is set to die Friday for killing his two-year-old daughter by re repeatedly slamming her head into a truck's windows and dashboard. Bourgeois' lawyer alleged he was intellectually disabled and therefore ineligible for the death penalty, but several courts said evidence didn't support that claim. I've also heard reports that there was 
there was actually abuse going on leading up to the murder of his daughter. And as far as I can tell, there's no question as to whether or not he did it. Even his own lawyer is saying, yeah, he did it, but he's not mentally sound. I don't, I don't have any qualms with someone like that being put to death. And from the other side, I've also seen the issue of racism brought up because, of course, of course it will be. It's 2020. I've heard some people say that the fact that Bernard got the death penalty, but someone like Dylan Roof did not, just goes to show how systemic racism is pervasive in our justice system. To that, I have to say, Dylan Roof did get the death penalty, so people saying that he hasn't I, I don't know where you're getting that. That is false. He is absolutely getting the death penalty. And I've also seen other people say like, okay, well, even if they're both getting the death penalty, the fact that Bernard is getting killed so much sooner uh, goes to show that, I don't know, we, we all hate black people more. And a lot of people may not realize this, but his, his crimes actually happened, I think, 20 years ago, the article said. So there's been a long appeals process leading up to this. So it's, it's not like they've just really uh, tried to prioritize killing a black man over a white man because racism. It's no, from what I understand, you know, this process appeals. It's, it's all been played out. It's just that this is coming to a head now, whereas the whole Dylan Roof thing, I think, only concluded about four years ago. So as far as I can tell... No, I'm sorry. Uh, no systemic racism there. And I also want to address the issue of, uh, you know, I, I kind of paint the issue as should the government have the authority and the power to put someone to death. And in response to that, I did see other people saying, hang on, no, it's not the government that decides whether someone is put to death. It's actually just a jury of their peers, so it's different. Um, and I have a response to that that I put out. I said to those saying it's not the state that decides, it's a jury of peers, whether a crime is eligible for the death penalty, who gets charged, what judge is appointed, and how the appeals process happens are all determined by the state. And I, I would say to that as well, even if that weren't the case, I still do not believe that, you know, a jury of your peers should have any more control over your life, right? I mean, I think that's that's not something that I would want a group of random people, even if they are my peers, to be able to decide. So I just have problems with the whole premise. I have been told that, uh, you know, me being critical of the death penalty in any way means that I'm not a Christian or that I, I should oppose it if I am a Christian and it's just a... It's an issue where there's a lot of, I think, bad faith arguments being put forward. Uh, and I, I respect people on both sides of the aisle. I've had someone actually suggest that as someone sort of in the middle who sees both sides, maybe what I could do is moderate a debate between two people who have opposing viewpoints. And I think that would actually be something really fun if there are any people uh, on either side of the debate that you think would be interested and that please let me know because I would I would be willing uh, willing to do that. Next up, let us move on to YouTube censorship. But before we get to that, I want to say thank you to our sponsor, Bowl and Branch. So what do millions of Americans and three former U.S. presidents have in common? They all agree that Bowl and Branch sheets are the softest and most comfortable pure organic cotton sheets on Earth. Earth. Bolin Branch cotton is rain-fed, pesticide-free, and carries the highest organic certification. That is why it is so soft, because they work 
with family-owned mills all over the world to expertly weave every single set of Bull and Branch sheets with the highest level of craftsmanship. It is quality. You can feel the moment you open the box. I own a set of Bull and Branch sheets and they are like nothing else. And bed sheets are one of those things that when, when you start to invest in better quality, it's really hard to go back to the stuff you used to use before. And we spend about a third of our lives in bed sleeping. So in my opinion, bedding, including bed sheets, it's really not the type of stuff you want to skimp out on. You owe that much to yourself. A good night's sleep. So, and since they sell direct to you, Bolin Branch sheets start at just $160. So what you're getting is $1,000 quality sheets for just a fraction of the price. Plus you can sleep on them for a month entirely risk-free. Right now you will get $50 off any sheet set at bolinbranch.com with the promo code Chen. That is spelled B-O-L-L and branch.com with the promo code Chen for $50 off bolinbranch.com again with the promo code Chen. Restrictions may apply. See bolinbranch.com for details. Holiday season is coming up. If you know someone and you're not really sure what to get them, set of bed sheets is a pretty safe way to go. I can't imagine many people who wouldn't like that. All right, so I have for a very long time, now for years, really been critical of YouTube and the way that they are censoring and controlling the public discourse. Uh, you know, I think since 2016, really, we've seen them gradually, gradually uh turn up the amount of censorship and control that they're exerting over their creators. And it kind of started off almost not noticeably, right? I, I know as someone who does political commentary and controversial subjects, it kind of started with getting fewer and fewer views sent my way from like search results or video recommends. And then eventually YouTube came out and just said, all right, we are going to be like sequestering quote problematic content or even borderline content even if it doesn't explicitly violate the terms of service. And we also saw them saying, all right, we're going to be trying to elevate authoritative sources and, you know, sidelining independent commentators. And now uh, with with the whole U.S. election thing, they're just explicitly saying, all right, if you say something we don't like, we're just going to delete you. And we saw kind of the beginnings of this as well with the whole COVID fiasco. They were like censoring videos that went against what the WHO was saying at the time. But now I think, you know, the mask is off. They feel like Trump is going to be out of office. They're not going to be facing any opposition from the Biden administration. They're, so they're just like, all right, We'll do whatever we want. This is from YouTube's official blog. It says supporting the 2020 US election. They write, yesterday was the safe harbor deadline for the US presidential election and enough states have certified their election results to determine a president elect. Given that, we will start removing any piece of content uploaded today or anytime after that misleads people by alleging that widespread fraud or errors changed the outcome of the 2020 US presidential election in line with our approach towards historical U.S. presidential elections. For example, we will remove videos claiming that a presidential candidate won the election. Due to widespread software glitches or counting errors, we will begin enforcing this policy today and will ramp up in the weeks to come. This is terrifying, especially for someone who, again, does political commentary. Right now, we see that YouTube is deciding what is and what is not true and what deserves to be said in the public square, which at the moment, 
in this day and age absolutely involves what's happening online. They also continue by saying, while only a small portion of watch time is election-related content, YouTube continues to be an important source of election news. On average, 88% of the videos in top 10 search results related to elections came from authoritative news sources. Amongst the rest are things like uh, newsy late night shows, and the most viewed channels and videos are from news channels like NBC and CBS. Even if YouTube weren't removing videos that question the election results, you have to understand that the way their algorithm works, they still would not have been directing viewers toward you, all right? If you're a random person and you're you're talking about the presidential election online on YouTube, the only way basically people are going to find your content is if it's shared. And that's why we we depend so much on our viewers to share our content because YouTube isn't featuring us in search results and algorithms. We're not an authoritative source, i.e. one of the news outlets that is actually financially partnered with YouTube. So, I mean, you know, this this is shocking. This is definitely an escalation of their policies of control, but it's not surprising and it's not new. And you know, ever since Alex Jones got booted from YouTube, people like me have warned that this type of stuff was just just around the corner. But there were so many people out there who were saying like, okay, hang on, I'm not for censorship, but I don't really like Alex Jones, so I think it was okay that YouTube did this. No, okay, you have to draw a line in the sand and say, this is not okay. That line came and went as soon as Alex Jones was kicked off the platform. And since then, it's kind of been like that slow but steady ramp up. And I think now we're genuinely at a point where it's it's too late, right? Conservatives are never going to have an equal chance with YouTube. That that time has come and gone, and it's really sad because I will get people asking me, hey, I would love to start a YouTube channel and do, you know, conservative or libertarian or even classically liberal commentary like you. How do I start out? I unfortunately don't think it's possible in this day and age to do what I did and organically grow a following on YouTube just because they're not going to let people see your videos, right? And they And they admit it. They admit that they're not going to. They're going to direct people to other places like CNN. And there's something else that I thought was really interesting in regard to this whole story. So I also looked on the Google website to see how this affected TOS in general. And it says, in regard to presidential election integrity, content that advances false claims that widespread fraud, errors, or glitches change the outcome of any past U.S. presidential election are not allowed. But it says, note, this applies to elections in the United States only. Isn't that strange. So on YouTube, you can assert that, I don't know, the elections in Canada were fraudulent, widespread fraud and errors affected the results. You can say that, you know, in the UK, the election system is not secure. Widespread uh, glitches have affected things, and that's totally fine. But you can't say that about the US or your video will get removed. I wanna hear the justification from YouTube and their supporters as to why that distinction exists, why it's okay uh, for people to say that about non-American elections, but not American elections. And I also wanna know if the people who've been claiming Russiagate and Russian meddling in the 2016 election for the past four years, if their videos are gonna be removed now that apparently YouTube is taking this hard stance that you can't dare question election integrity. I would really love to know because if, if that's the case, then a ton of Rachel Maddow clips are in trouble, right? A ton of, I would even say the Young Turks clips are in trouble. But this is another example of 
the, the terms of service are not going to be equally enforced, right? As garbage as they are written, what's going to be even worse is their enforcement. Um, so they also give exp explicit examples of what is not allowed. It says uh, claims that a candidate only won a swing state in the 2020 presidential election due to voting machine glitches. Claims that dead people voted in numbers that changed the outcome of the 2016 presidential election. Strange that they have the 2016 election there, but only only in regard to dead people voting. Does that mean if it's in regard to Russian interference, you can claim that stuff was changed. I really don't know. They also say you're not allowed claims that fake ballots were dumped to give one candidate enough votes to win a state in a past US presidential election. They do say we may allow content such as the examples above if it includes countervailing views or sufficient context in the images or audio of the video itself. What I think is especially disturbing about this is that YouTube is acting like the presidential election, this past one, is all said and done. Everything's be set, been settled. They're kind of painting it as if to continue to question things means that you are some deranged conspiracy theorist. To that, I have to say, even if you are conspiracy theorists, I, I still think you should be allowed to post YouTube videos. And I still think people should be allowed to search for you because there are people out there who want to know about it. And I don't think YouTube's role should be to play editor and decide what people can or cannot watch. Overall, I have supported a lot of what Trump has done as presidency, but I have to say, I am so, so disappointed that he and the Republicans did not do more to bring big tech to their knees. Again, for years, we have known that big tech has a bias against conservatives. And I mean, you know, there've been there've been hearings where people like Mark Zuckerberg and, you know, the Google heads have been brought in and they've essentially told lies to Congress and, you know, Trump has tweeted a lot of stuff, but in terms of actual results, haven't really seen it yet. So, I mean, a lot of people are asking, how does Section 230 affect all of this? And, you know, we have people like Tim Pool saying, oh, don't remove Section 230 because, you know, if, if sites like YouTube aren't allowed to claim, I guess, immunity from legal action based on them being platforms, not publishers, then it's just going to make, um, I, I suppose, censorship against conservatives worse. But what I want to see happen is, uh, you know, Section 230 can stay because I still believe in that distinction. But I think, you know, the Trump administration, someone needs to make a ruling and just clarify that as long as YouTube does this, they are not eligible for Section 230 protections, meaning that if you are another company and you actually are just being a platform, you're not participating in all of these editorial decisions that YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter absolutely are now, then, you know, you have that legal immunity. Uh, but this YouTube cannot claim protections under Section 230 anymore. As far as I'm concerned, it's absolutely ridiculous that anyone would say otherwise. And so what I want to see now is I want to see someone try to sue YouTube for content that was posted onto their site. And, uh, you know, I want to see YouTube in a court of law try to claim protections under Section 230 because right now, actually, Trump did release an executive order saying what, you know, similar to what I am, that if a, if a platform does this, this or this, which YouTube is doing all of it, they're no longer a platform, but a, but a publisher. But we haven't really seen that clear cut ruling to say, you know, whether YouTube or, or not can claim this protection. So, I mean, you know, going forward, am I hopeful that something is going to change and we will get back YouTube from 2016 where it's like you could you could get on the trending page if you were just some random person talking about politics? I would love that. But I'm not confident that that is going to happen 
I'm very disappointed in Republicans for not having done more. And especially considering it's not just American politics that are at risk here, it's politics worldwide. I mean, every single country has their own equivalent of the establishment and people trying to speak up against it or, you know, the the liberal side versus the versus the more conservative side that big tech may not like. And it's, you know, for all of these countries, this is an issue that matters. Uh, you know, in Canada, there was also instances of the PPC, which is our like center-right libertarian party encountering censorship on social media. I don't, I don't foresee this getting better, frankly, uh, but let's move on. Okay, so Tulsi Gabbard, she is someone who, you know, as a Democrat overall, I really like her. I am a huge fan of her stance on foreign policy. She's very, you know, non-interventionist. She's not a neocon or a neoliberal, which I love. Uh, her, her domestic policy uh, positions are frankly more akin to Bernie Sanders so I can't say that I would I would support her in that regard but she just did something that really impressed me as well oh and she's very pro free speech which I appreciate and she recognizes the problems that exist with big tech currently. So we have this story from the New York Post. It says, Tulsi Gabbard introduces bill to protect women's sports based on biological sex. And this is actually a bill that she is, uh, I guess, co-sponsoring with a Republican. So it's nice to see that on this issue, at least to a certain extent, there's bipartisan support. We don't see that too often nowadays anymore. But it says, the Protect Women's Sports Act seeks to clarify that Title IX protections for female athletes are based on biological sex, Gabbard and Mullen, who is the Republican, said in a statement. The legislation would prohibit schools from receiving federal funding if they permit a person whose biological sex at birth is male to participate in an athletic program or activity that is designated for women or girls. All right, so a little bit of things uh, to unpack there. All right, so Title IX protections, for those of you who aren't familiar, is something that essentially the, the Department of Education has that says you cannot discriminate on the basis of sex uh, as, as an educational institution when it comes to receiving federal funding. So basically, this legislation is not just saying that, uh, you know, schools that don't allow trans athletes to participate in the the sports club of their choosing can still receive federal funding. It's going even further and saying that if you receive federal funding, uh, you may not allow a person whose biological sex at birth is male to participate in an athletic program designated for women or girls. Y you see what the difference is. Like before, uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of people would say that, oh, it should be Federal funding should be withheld if you are someone who bigotedly thinks that trans women shouldn't be competing with women. This takes it a step even further and says that if you are a school who says that trans women should compete with women, you won't get you won't get federal funding. Um, I think honestly, this is necessary. Trans women in women's sports has been a hot button issue. For years now, we've done several segments on this, and my position has always remained the same. Competing in women's sports is not a right, and there are biological differences between men and women that do give biological males um, an advantage in sports, and this is even true if a biological male is, for example, on hormone blockers and taking estrogen because, I mean, the way that the body develops before, like, there are advantages that don't go away just because you are now taking different hormones. Um, so good on Tulsi Gabbard for doing this. Uh, you know, this isn't a stance that we've seen many people on the left or Democrat Democrats advocate 
for. So she's definitely kind of going against the grain. Um, we are going to be going over what the reaction to this on social media has been. But first, I want to say thank you to Quip. So there are only two types of people in the world. Those of us who brush and floss every day and those who don't but just might start thanks to Quip's new refillable floss pack or sorry, pick. You know Quip by now, the electric toothbrush that you hear all the time, but now it is their sleek reusable floss pick that you're going to want to use. So the durable handle is easy to guide, restrings with a click, and comes with a compact mirror dispensing case for on the go. Plus a single refill pod replaces over 180 single-use plastic flossers, so it's way better for the environment in addition to your teeth. And if you're not a pick person, no worries, Quip also has refillable floss string that expands to clean. You can pair your floss with the perfect electric toothbrush for adults and kids. Quip has these simple guiding features that you'll need, like timed sonic vibrations with guiding pulses to help you brush better. You can also personalize your routine with over nine premium brush colors. They have anti-cavity toothpaste as well in mint and watermelon. So you can also get amazing rewards for brushing every every day with the Quip Smart Electric Toothbrush. It connects to the Quip app, which is free, and you can earn amazing rewards like free products and discounts as you track and coach better oral health habits two minutes, twice a day. It's all very, very cool. So you can bring delight to your everyday brushing and join the over 5 million mouths brushing with Quip starting at just $25. This holiday season, check out Quip's exclusive deals, and if you go to getquip.com slash Chen right now, you will get your first refill totally free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash Chen. That is spelled G-E-T quip.com slash Chen Quip Better Oral Health Made Simple. All right. So as you might have predicted, by doing this, sponsoring this bill, Tulsi Gabbard anchored a lot of people on the left, which is really, I feel so bad for Tulsi Gabbard because for me, she represents, gosh, a, a politician who I don't necessarily agree with politically, but still one whom I can respect and whom I know is a patriot at heart who loves her country. Don't forget, in addition to serving as a representative in the House, she is also a veteran. And, you know, I, I don't doubt that she's a good person, even though we are not politically aligned. Uh, but she is someone who's been ruthlessly smeared by the media, starting with her her presidential campaign. You know, she's been called... Uh, what is it? Uh, an Assad supporter for saying, hey... Let's scale back on the foreign intervention. She's been accused of being a Russian asset and all of these crazy, crazy things just for going against, you know, the establishment Democrat bottom line. And it's just it's too bad because we need more people like her in politics. But, you know, the left so far seems to be doing everything they can to chase her out. So we have Sarah McBride, who, in response to this story, tweeted out Tulsi Gabbard assigned Republican at birth. I mean, if leftists want to make protecting biological women in sports a republican issue i guess they can go ahead but it seems like a pretty 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 silly thing to do considering this is just common sense and i don't think it's anti-trans in the least you don't need to be against trans people to just recognize that being a trans woman is not the same as being a cisgendered woman and i've had people say okay well then what are trans people supposed to do be banned from sports entirely no, I don't think so. I think, you know, competing in men's sports is always, should always be an option. And I also think, like, if if there are enough trans people to make this possible, I wouldn't be opposed to, like, a trans woman league exclusively. And I think, you know, that would solve a lot of the issues because it wouldn't make trans women compete against men, which they might 
find distasteful and it also would protect biological women who uh you know think it's unfair that someone who might be like you know six foot five and 200 pounds but now identifies as woman uh, is able to compete against them um but we have other other people who also chimed in equally uncharitably so natasha this person says i did track in high school i'm assuming this person is trans and performed to the best of my ability and can say those assigned male at birth do not have any more advantage than someone born with natural ability every girl on the team was stronger and faster than i was and i was by no means slower weak we hear um, anecdotal evidence like this all the time regarding this specific issue and i mean Maybe this person is just exceptionally bad at sports, but the science is the science. It's so strange how when it comes to certain things, the left is all like, oh, let's support the science. But when it comes to the issue of gender and biological sex, they're not so much with the science. And, uh, you know, I even had someone mention, well, what about a biological woman like Castor Semenya, who's not trans, but just really gifted? Like, what about her? Castor Semenya is, and I, I, this is a phrase or a term that's, you know, offensive to some. I don't know another way to say it, but from what I understand, she is a hermaphrodite and might even have internal testes, which is why she has so much testosterone, which does give her a physical advantage. So I, you know, no, that's not the same. And, you know, worldwide, if we look at the top competitors in women's sports, they are now disproportionately trans women or intersex. Uh, so it's, I don't think that's a coincidence and it's just it's just not very believable to say that things like testosterone don't affect your performance in sports because we know that's absolutely not true. Uh, Brett Lewis says, how is this small government? What part of the Constitution calls for policing athletics and gender? Oh, well, I guess there must not be much other pressing business going on in the country these days. All right. So this is an interesting like how can you be pro small government if you support policing people's genders? I think there's a good, I mean, as long as we're supporting small government, I think there's a good, good argument to be made that none of this should be federally funded. How about that, right? Uh, but in terms of like, you know, whether something is small government or not, if it's a, a private sports league, I don't think it's either small or big government for them to establish their own rules of who can and who cannot compete in their competitions. Like, I mean, that's just, that's not even related. And I love how people like this only talk about small government when it benefits their argument in a way, I mean, it never actually does, but at least when they think it does. We also see this with abortion. How can you be small government if, if you don't support abortion? It's like, well, I didn't realize that part of being small government would, was allowing murder. Likewise, I didn't know that being pro-small government meant allowing anyone who wants to identify as female to actually identify as female. Um, this isn't an issue that I think will be resolved anytime soon. And I think as we see the number of trans identifying people to con continue to rise, this is going to be an actually bigger and bigger issue. You know, in Canada, I think currently the we did a, a segment previously on this, the person, the trans woman who holds the, the title of uh, some sort of cycling champion uh you know she's come out and firmly said like oh no i'm i don't have any advantages just because i'm trans and it's like eh, if if you say so uh all right let us move on though final story let's talk about comics so i'm someone who who actually doesn't really read many comics but i do like a lot of comic book adaptations that you know have come to places like the big screen or tv shows and actually i recently finished listening to an audiobook of neil gaiman's sandman which i think was originally a comic but was kind of adapted into this like audio presentation which was very very good and i highly recommend it but 
It's interesting. Uh, you know, the comic industry in terms of its audience is majority male. But you, and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. But right now, it seems like comics are one of the industries that is most being infected by social justice warriors. And I don't quite understand why that's happening. Uh, you know, there's this whole comic skate thing as well. It just seems like the people who are in charge of creating content and in charge of these business decisions are not seeing eye to eye with their actual readers. And, uh, you know, we we did a segment when Miss Marvel was kind of announced as a new series. If you're not familiar, Miss Marvel is, I guess, Marvel's first superhero of color that is also female and Muslim. So very exciting there. I, I'm not sure. I don't know anyone who actually reads this comic or likes it, but they're making a, a series out of it. And it's in the news now because there are casting leaks or rumors. This isn't confirmed, but it's been rumored that someone named Yasmin Fletcher has been cast in the role of a Muslim girl, but she's actually half white and Christian. And so everyone is really mad about it now. So we have some some posts. Discussing film says, hashtag fix Miss Marvel is trending in response to worrying casting. Uh, not only is Yasmin Fletcher a half-white Christian girl reportedly cast as a Turkish hijabi, Andrew Broder, multiple Title IX allegations filed against him. He's supposedly in this as well. And Matt Lintz, another actor, there's evidence he is a Trump supporter. Okay, so we're going to be getting to the other two actors involved in this, but let's start with Yasmin. Yasmin Fletcher. So Miss Marvel News, uh, which is like a fan account dedicated to this, sh they put out that Yasmin Fletcher Fletcher has not done anything egregious, but we find it inappropriate that a half-white Christian girl was apparently cast as Nakia Bahadir. Same goes for Zenobia Shroff, who is a non-Muslim Indian apparently cast as Kamala's Pakistani Muslim mother. So there are a couple aspects of this I want to touch upon. Let's talk about the whole Christian versus Muslim thing. Um, do these people not understand acting like at all? I mean, so we've had people complain about non-disabled actors playing disabled characters. We've had people complain about, uh, you know, women like Scarlett Johansson playing a trans men and she got bullied out of that role. So it's like, all right, you can't pretend to, for example, need a wheelchair if you don't. You can't pretend to have gender dysphoria if you don't. We also know that they don't like it when a straight actor pretends to be gay if they're not. But now this also applies to religion. Like, you can't even pretend to have different religious beliefs. Then you actually, like, what is acting then? What is acting? These people do not understand. Saying that someone is the wrong religion as an actor to play a certain role is the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard of. These people have like a child's interpretation of how making a movie should go. You, you do realize that when people die on screen, they're not actually being killed, right? That's not how making movies work. So I think it's it's just ridiculous. Uh, I, for one, am not in favor of religious testing when it comes to actors being cast in roles. Uh, and then regarding the whole, I guess, biracial thing. So this, I think, is what upset people the most. Uh, we have a ton of tweets here. Uh, one person said, brown rep, you better do it right. You're representing me. I will not tolerate no Trump supporters or crackers where they do not belong. Lovely. Just tolerance, you know. Uh, Marvel said, we're going to be 
give you a Miss Marvel show that is so Islamophobic. Nakia should not be played by a white Christian girl. Yeah, so just people are not thrilled. And this is the same kind of rhetoric we saw when Disney went ahead and cast, I think her name is Naomi Scott, in the role of Jasmine uh, for their live action Aladdin representation. She's also biracial, not, not brown enough, according to the internet. As someone who is biracial, I'm half Chinese, um, these people are just so insanely racist. Uh, you know, I overall, I can't say that I've had a negative experience, you know, growing up being biracial. I don't want to make myself into a victim or anything here. But when you have all of these people descending on biracial people for not being Turkish enough, brown enough, Chinese enough, like it really is I mean, it's it's racist bullying. Uh, you know, biracial people already might be prone to feel like an outsider, an other, because you're not fully this, not fully the other. And what really enforces that is when you have crowds of people saying, no, you are not pure enough to play this role, uh, which is exactly what this poor actress, Yasmin Fletcher, is going through. Uh, it feels just like a big warm hug. Uh, I don't know how you can call yourself an anti-racist activist or pro-social justice if you're literally bullying a girl over her racial purity. It's ridiculous. And, you know, there might be some people out there who say, well, you know, this is only an issue because Hollywood is always preferring lighter skinned actors and not giving darker skinned actors a role. And it's like, well, if you if you're afraid of that type of racism going on, then why is your answer to combat it more racism in attacking every light-skinned actress? Like, is that really what you think is the appropriate way forward? You don't know who else auditioned for the role. You don't know uh, what Yasmin Fletcher's performance was like, uh, how good it may have been to give her this role. You don't know what what the, you know, the, the casting director had in mind. So how can you say that this is upsetting this is not your project. Uh, it's just, it's really frustrating, especially when we see all the time, you know, uh, roles for white characters or lighter skin characters going to darker skin characters. And it's like, you know, you can't have it both ways. Either the race of a character is intrinsic and it can't be compromised on and it's just an essential part of who they are, or replacing white actors with black actors is the right thing to do and totally okay. Like, you, you can't have it both ways. You know, either the race matters or it doesn't. And I just don't know how these people honestly see themselves as the good guys in any situation. Um, so yeah, but it's not just this actress who's getting attacked. It's also two of the males, uh, Andrew Broder, who I'm not familiar with any of these actors, by the way, apparently has multiple Title IX allegations filed against him. That's kind of, I mean, that's, that's a little bit ambiguous because a Title IX allegation could range from anything to, you know, you refuse to use someone's correct pronouns to actual rape. So, you know, I'm not going to comment on that. But for Matt Lintz, um, it says there's evidence this actor is a Trump supporter and already people are freaking out. It's like, we've gotten to a point where you can be canceled and people will be upset that you've gotten work, not just if you're a Trump supporter, but if people even think you might possibly be a Trump supporter. It's like, oh my goodness, this is simpler, uh, similar to what happened with Matthew McConaughey for daring to sympathize with Trump supporters. And of course, you know, because this the show does involve Muslim characters. Now people are saying it's Islamophobic because apparently Trump and all of his supporters hate Muslims. And it's just like, why, 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 why is it like this? Like, why is it always things related to comics that are like this? Because I guarantee you most of the people who actually read comics, A, 
aren't reading Miss Marvel and B, don't care about petty controversies like this. Uh, but we have one more story in relation to just the messed up world of comics. And this comes to us from the Mary Sue, our, our go-to for uh, social justice issues and media entertainment. So there, uh, there is this DC character, Starfire, who is kind of like your quintessential smoke show superhero. Now there's a spinoff comic that's focusing on her daughter. And her daughter actually is goth, queer, and fat. So she essentially just looks like a self-insert of a social justice activist into a comic. And actually, uh, we have a picture as well of the author um, that is writing this. And it really does look like this is a self-insert. It looks like she's drawn a character based off of herself. Uh, kind of hilarious. But let's actually read about what what this comic is going to gonna entail. So it says, 17-year-old Mandy, daughter of Starfire, is not like her mother. Starfire is gorgeous, tall, sparkly, and a hero. Mandy is not a sparkly superhero. Mandy has no powers, is a kid who dyes her hair black, oh, black hair? Trendy. And hates everyone but her best friend Lincoln to Starfire, who's from another planet. Mandy seems like an alien, like some distant, angry light years away moon. And then, of course, let's get some diversity in here. It says everything changes when she gets partnered with Claire for a school project. And Mandy likes Claire, even if she denies it heartily and intensely a lot. So uh, if you do follow Midnight's Edge on YouTube, they are an amazing channel. I've recommended them before. They cover kind of uh, media news and, you know, production news for different movies and TV shows. I was recently on their podcast and we discussed this and oh gosh, this is this is just what I've come to expect from the comic book industry, honestly. We saw that there was also like the New Warriors that released characters like Safe Space and Snowflake. Now we have this blatant Mary Sue self-insert of a body positivity activist. And it's like, what happened to heroes being aspirational, like better than ourselves? Something to look up to, not something to make us feel satisfied with how completely mediocre and sometimes even terrible we are. Is, is it just that, you know, Gen Z and millennials are so narcissistic as a generation, they need to see themselves, even as terrible as we all kind of naturally are, represented in media and it be glorified as a good thing? Who wants to read this? This isn't interesting. This isn't this isn't something that the market wants. I mean, there's probably going to be like 20 people on Tumblr who are excited about this, as well as the author of this Mary Sue article, but that's it. And it just, it, I continue to be amazed at how, I don't know, these companies seemingly put ideology before profits, but maybe it's because they're being propped up by the actual big movies they do that people do care about, but. In any case, that's pretty much all I have to say for now. And as always, I would love to hear what you guys think. Are you going to be watching uh, I Am Not Starfire? Why or why not? And how do you feel about the death penalty? I know this is a, a huge and heavy topic. Let me know. But that's it for now. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll see you next time.